All right, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Chinese Church in Christ South Valley. It's good to see you all today. We are continuing on in our Freedom in Christ series in the book of Galatians. So I want to start by reading the first several verses of the passage we're going to look at today. So uh, if you've got your Bibles, let's go to Galatians chapter 4. And we are going to read verses 8 through 11 today. We're going to look at more than that, but to start, we're going to read through these four. So if you've got your Bibles, Galatians 4, verse 8, and you can also follow along here on the screen. So verse 8, formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world? whose slaves you want to be once more. You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. This is God's word. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the way that um, we can be known by you, as we've just read. And God, we thank you that you've given us your word to help guide us uh, in our lives and in our relationships and to know you more in the truest sense. Um, Lord, I know many times when we go to church or when we think about Christianity, um, God, there, are, uh, there is baggage that people can have. There are struggles that we can have in terms of us um, believing and following. But we thank you that you've given us your word. So, Lord, that you can be opening our eyes and our, our minds and our hearts to who you truly are and how that is such great news for our lives. So, Lord, I pray that we would have open hearts as we come before this passage this morning, that, you, that we would be inviting you to speak to us and into our lives. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so as we have been thinking about the book of Galatians, um, it's made me think a lot about previous church experiences that I've had. So I'm just curious. I have a question for us. Um, by a show of hands, how many of you, um, when you were growing up, by the time you were in fifth grade, you were going to church or had been going to church? By the time you were in fifth grade, how many of you? Good portion of, of us. A lot of the youth group, you know, you're not that, that, not that far away from fifth grade, so, you know, your hand should be up. Um, one thing that we've been learning in the book of Galatians, it's really important for us, this book, even though it's not the easiest book, because it talks about what the gospel really is about, really what the heart of why we go to church, why we believe in God, why that matters for our lives, when religion can complicate matters in a lot of ways. And so, Fifth grade, I asked about fifth grade because it was in fifth grade where I, at that moment, did not want to go to church at all. Like that was kind of the start of a rebellious phase for me in my life where I had gone to church as long as I could remember since a very young age as my parents would always bring me to church. But it felt like when I was in fifth grade, Sunday was wake up, dress up, shut up, listen up, and that was like my, you know, get ready for church, wear the clothes that my parents had picked out for me, and then go to Sunday school, and the novelty of certain things I enjoyed about Sunday school had worn off by then, and every Sunday, I remember my poor parents, like, I would like, 
if you guys know me, I wake up really early, right? So like Monday through Saturday, I would like wake up at 5.30 a.m. and like go get the newspaper outside and read the sports page because we didn't have the internet back then, you know, all those things. But Sunday morning, I would lay in bed until my parents would have to drag me out of there. And it's like clearly like that's not like my normal like body clock or routine or whatever. So it was very clear that on those Sundays, I did not want to go to church. And then whatever clothes they had picked out for me, I would complain um, when I was in fifth grade. My parents picked out all my clothes that I wear, so I don't know why I was complaining. But pretty much my attitude towards church was I did not want to go. And I think it's because as we've been reading through the book of Galatians, we've seen a lot of times in church we can have expectations of people or put restrictions on people that distract from what church is all about and even deeper who God really is. If God is a God where it's all about following a set list of rules, like I felt in fifth grade, wear the right clothes, listen when the teacher's talking, don't goof off, et cetera, et cetera, it's easy for us to have a false picture of who God really is. And the reason why the book of Galatians is so important for us is if that is our picture of of church, if that is our picture of who God is as our heavenly father, it's no wonder that maybe we don't experience any kind of life change from a relationship with the living God. But that's why the book of Galatians, I think, is so important. Because what the Apostle Paul has been doing in the chapters we've read before, we've seen how he is not letting the church in Galatia add all of these cultural expectations onto what it means to be a believer. Um, the church at, um, at Galatia... It's one of the earliest churches in the formation of the early church. Galatians is one of, if not Paul's earliest letters that he wrote. And so many of the believers that had come from kind of the disciples of Jesus Christ, they were all from Jewish descent. And what was happening was there were all of these Jewish uh, cultural expectations that the brothers and sisters in that church were imposing on people who might not even be Jewish. Now, we might think that's specific to that time period, and we're not Jewish, we're all Chinese here, you know, except for me and a a couple other people. But we can still have those same expectations that can be harmful to relationships today. And that's why the book of Galatians is so important. And that's why in fifth grade, I didn't want to go to church. Because lost in who God really was as my heavenly father was wake up, shut up, listen up, you know, all the stuff that went into being a part of, like, going to church with my parents on Sundays. Um, last Sunday, the, uh, I think a verse that sums up what Daniel was preaching on is Galatians 4.7. It's the previous verse before what we read. And we saw that Paul says here, So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. And Daniel was sharing with us the good news of what it means that we don't have to view God as a slave master the way I was viewing my parents and my Sunday school teacher at this time in fifth grade, but we can view ourselves as a child of the living God. And hopefully, as we go through today's passage, we're going to see how that is such good news and that is life-changing for us. But that's a very important verse to help give us the context for where we're at in the book of Galatians. Because what we've seen is... If there are expectations, if there are cultural expectations that we hold for people in church or in a religious kind of setting, that is harmful for our relationships. Practically, what it can look like, what we've said it can look like, is a lot of times people can use God or the idea of God to say, God wants you to do, and then fill in the blank, when it's really, we're not sure if that's what God wants you to do or not, 
but it's what that person wants you to do. I think it happens a lot in parent-child relationships. It happens a lot in family relationships. It happens a lot in friendships as well. And this is what is harmful for our relationships, and it distracts us from who the living God really is. And that is why Paul is adamant about focusing on believing in God for who he is, our Savior, and what he's done, and not forcing people to follow all of these religious tendencies and traditions that the early church had because it was made up of mainly Jewish people. And so the title of today's message is The Heart of a Shepherd. This is a really interesting section in Galatians because if we're saying that the gospel is not believing in God by following a bunch of rules, but it's about knowing God, our inclination can be, well, then rules don't matter. Restrictions don't matter at all. We can just live our lives however we want because God is gracious and compassionate and forgiving, and certainly he is. But what we're going to see in Galatians is that's not what Paul is saying either. If we know the living God, there are ways that we are called to live and follow him and serve him. And we're getting to that in chapter 5. But here in chapter 4, you really see Paul's heart. You see how committed he is to the truth that we are saved by grace alone and not any of these things that people were adding on to that. But you also see his heart for the Galatians that's going to be on display in this passage. So in the four verses we read already, and in a few that follow after that that we're going to look at, we're going to see three characteristics of this heart of a shepherd that Paul has as he has been kind of one of the, the, the ones who has spearheaded the, the growth and the existence of the Galatian church. So what we're going to see from Paul, who was trying to shepherd these new believers, is we're going to see that Paul has an understanding of life change, that that's what the gospel does. It changes our lives. And it gives him a perspective on the big picture. And then finally, we're going to see how it helps Paul really value the relationships that he has within the Galatian church. So those are the three things that we're going to see today in this passage. So first, we're going to see how Paul's heart of a shepherd shows that um, he has this understanding of life change. Now, before we get into the three points, this is important for us because I want to resist the temptation to say, like, for me and Daniel as the preachers here, that this is also our heart as shepherds of this church, though it is. But really, this passage should be equipping for us if there are those in our lives who we desire would know God in the ways that we do as well. And hopefully, it can help us share the joy of that without sharing the expectations or the burdens that the Galatians were fearing here. Because many times, out of great, um, out of great uh, just hopes or great intentions, when it comes to sharing the gospel with others or inviting people to church, without knowing it, sometimes we can add so many expectations onto it that can really confuse from who God really is. And so that's why seeing Paul's heart here in this section is really important for us today. So first, we're going to see that Paul has this understanding of what it means that the gospel changes lives. And so in verse 8, he says, there, what we see is, he says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now, the word but is always such a key phrase in many of Paul's verses. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? And in these two verses, what we are seeing that a very clear understanding of what it means to know God. We know how different our lives were before having a relationship with God and what the after is like. And for those of us who have been following God or had a relationship with God for some time, 
you can look back and see a very clear before or after, uh, before and after, of what it was like before we knew God and what it's like now in the joy of knowing him. Now, our challenge as humans is sometimes that before and after can get very blurred because of we fall into what Paul is warning against here. We'll say more about that later. But life was very different for Paul before he met the living God and afterwards. If you remember Paul's story, and there's bits and pieces of it that we've touched upon in the book of Galatians, before God had revealed himself to Paul, Paul's name was Saul, and he was busy persecuting and sometimes even killing Christians because he was such a uh, religiously, uh, re religiously passionate Jewish person that when the new church, the early church had sprung up, it was his, like, it was his kind of conviction to like, persecute these people, and that's what his pre-Christ life was like. And then God strikes him blind on the road to Damascus, and he has this interaction with God and where he, he can understand that God is speaking to him and desires this change in his life. And from that point on, Paul's life is never the same. There's a very clear before and after for the Apostle Paul. And so what he is saying here is the gospel teaches us that our lives that are following sinful desires in this world, once we know the living God, we have a different uh, we have a different understanding of what's most important in this world. And certainly that was true for Paul because now his whole life has been centered around preaching the gospel, building churches, and where he was once killing Christians, he is now trying to build up churches. Quite the before and after change. Um, if you've gotten baptized in our church, you know that one of the questions we ask um, in the application form is describe your life before you believed in God and made him your savior and after, what is the difference? Now, we'll say more about this in a bit, but it's not as if our lives have this perfect before and after delineation, but there should be some understanding of what our lives were like before and what our lives are like now knowing who God is. Um, in, during the pandemic, one of the blessings of Zoom ministry was creating different memes because we couldn't do much else. But when I think about my fifth grade church experience compared to when I came here to CCIC South Valley as an eighth grader, meeting Greg Robertson, who was in charge of the, the youth group at that time, it resulted in a meme such as this. Throw it up on the screen. Um, that helps hopefully display like, the before and after of, of knowing who God is. Is it there yet? All right, there it is. Is it there? Technical difficulties. Okay, so when I was a middle schooler, I went to a youth group where it was huge. It was an American church, and it was the same church where my parents kind of forced me to go in sixth grade. And I never, I, like, by sixth grade, it was youth group. It was different. It was like a big group instead of a small Sunday school class. Um, there was a separate junior high and high school group. But what it was like was in the, in the big American church, I felt like no one knew me, right? And then shout out to our, one of our wonderful, co wonderful college students, Devin Shao, who's at UCLA, and to Jessica Lin, who's a, a, a design major who's in New York, who created this wonderful meme. Like, she found these pictures of him when they were in elementary school and captioned it such as this, as you're looking at. 
But the, the, the purpose of this was when we were talking about the importance of church in our youth group, what I was sharing with them was when I came to this church, not the first time, but the second time, it had been the first time since as long as I could remember that someone, one of the leaders, remembered my name. And I was like, wow, this big white guy who's always playing the guitar, who's got like 40 like Chinese kids plus me like running around, he remembers all our names. And a lot of the leaders at my previous church, outside of like my specific small group leader, like they didn't know all the other kids because the group was so big. And now this is not a commentary to say that, you know, God can't work through or have the exact like experience happen here in a big church because it can depending on what kind of small group leaders you have and all of like that. But for me, this was a picture of what church life was before and after as a result of coming here to this church. And a lot of it was due to the fact that in this setting, it was what I needed to understand that, hey, there was someone who really valued me enough to remember my name a week later. And that was a picture of the loving heavenly father that I needed in my life at this time. And what Paul is getting at here is to know the gospel is to know what our lives were like before Christ and what our lives are like after. Now, this is a fun picture, but it actually has a lot of great meaning to me because it helps me see, like, when I think about all the values that I held before knowing who God is compared to now, I am so thankful that God has revealed himself to me the same way he revealed himself to Paul and the same way that God has revealed himself to a lot of us and the difference it can make in our lives. And so then what Paul is saying in, the, in verse 9 then is he's saying, he's trying to encourage the Galatian brothers and sisters. He's saying, if you have had this experience of knowing the living God, how can you go back to things that you knew beforehand or to the way your life was before? And if you're anything like me, it's, our lives are not a clear cut, like black and white, like that was my life before and this is my life now. If anything, what I've discovered is many times my life is a wanting to kind of wander back into worldly thinking or worldly values, and somehow God always drags me back and brings me back. And when I can stand here and think about it, I'm so thankful that that's how God's like, heart for myself and other believers works, where he draws us back in and he helps, us, helps remind us of not following the wrong path, but valuing what is truly most important. And I think that for... Um, so for many of us, hopefully we can see that there's a before and after from what it's like. Um, there's a verse in Proverbs that this always reminds me of. This idea of going back after things that we know are not of good value for us, that are not of God, but that somehow we find ourselves falling back into. Um, if, how, many, how many dog owners are there in this room? I know there's quite a few. We love dogs here at CCIC South Valley. But a disgusting thing that dogs can do is sometimes, like, if they've eaten too much grass and they throw it up, like, somehow, sometimes you might see them go and, like, licking their own throw up, right? I see some dog owners cringing right now because they know that it's true. And in the book of Proverbs, this is amazing to me because all the way back in the Old Testament, I don't know how domesticated dogs were, like, at the time of the book of Proverbs, but the author of Proverbs gives us this image where he says, like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. And what he is saying here is, as believers who have a relationship with the living God, why do we go back to things that we know are harmful for us? Or things that are values of this world that lead to death or lead to destruction or lead to just all the things that we don't want in our lives and yet, as humans, as broken and sinful humans, we many times find ourselves going back down the same, going back down the same path. 
And the idea of what it's like to have a relationship with God, the before and after, is so important to Paul here, and I believe that's really important for us as well. Um, last week, I had the blessing of attending a wedding for our brother Andy, Andy Jew. He grew up in our church, recently graduated from college, he got married in North Carolina, and um, so I got to fly out there for the wedding. That's where I was last weekend. I missed you all for one week, and it's good to be back. Um, I don't think you can ever see a, I mean, you can, this is hyperbole, but I don't think you can ever see a bigger picture of like selfish values than when you are traveling on an airplane. And it's like, you know, I think the depravity of man in an airport and an airplane is like always on such display. Or maybe this is just my perspective, but let me explain what I mean by that. I've, I've remembered many times when I'm traveling on an airline, I'm so anxious about where I'm going and where I'm trying to get to that like I forget about the people around me. I'm like bumping into the person that I'm sitting next to in the seats that are way too small for us all on the airplane. Um, and then there's like a race to get off the plane if you have some connecting flight and you're not worried about anyone else's schedule, you're only worried about yours. And I would say, like, it's, I just, I can't stand traveling by airplane. That's just, like, something that's personal to me. But, like, have you noticed when you get off an airplane, there's supposed to be, like, you know, some, uh, uh, like, some guidelines to how you get off the plane, right? Like, when the plane lands and the door opens, it's like, get out in an orderly fashion. Like, you know, if you're towards the back of the plane, wait your turn. You didn't pay as much money as the people sitting in the front, right? So you just have to wait and like do it, you know, so where you're not all like crowding it. But there's always inevitably the people who like break those guidelines and need to get off and who knows what all the reasons are. But I've always had this huge sense of anxiety anytime I'm on an airplane. It's either anxiety of getting to where I need to go or like, if you want to see the judgmental side of Dan come out, at least inwardly, I'm like, you are one row back. Why are you there? Like, why can't you wait for the six people that were here? What is wrong with you? Like, don't you understand the system? If you want to see the biggest, like, heart of a Pharisee that comes from me, like, just get on an airplane with me. Let's go, Mexico team. Two weeks. You're going to see this happen, right? No, I'm going to be too busy worrying that you guys are not breaking the rules. But anyway, I digress. So, but the point is, I've realized how stressed out I can be many times getting on an airplane and getting off an airplane. On this trip, for whatever reason, I don't, like, I hadn't read through this passage yet. I did it, like, as I was coming home on the airplane, like, earlier this week, because I knew I was preaching on this passage this week. But for some reason, as I was getting on the airplane, and even though it was a tiring flight, it was a red eye, you know, you don't need to know my whole travel schedule. That's, that's a separate discussion. But it's like the whole thing was, as soon as I got on the airplane, even though my intention was to sleep through most of it, I just had the sense that God was with me. And having the sense that God was with me meant I don't need to be upset if someone doesn't follow the rules the way they're supposed to, even though you can hear it in my voice, I'm like still a little bit upset, right? But the difference is, like, having a relationship with the living God can clearly change our perspective on many things. And as much as I hate traveling by airplane, it was way more peaceful this time because I felt this sense of the Holy Spirit is with me. Galatians 3, we talked about what it's like having the Holy Spirit with us. That's what it means that we are no longer a slave but a son because we have this relationship with the living God through the Holy Spirit. And so... If our lives have been changed by knowing God, what I'm trying to describe here through just like what my air travel experience was like, is there's a difference in our lives when we know that God is with us. And before we knew who God was, before we believed in him, for those of us who have a relationship with the living God, our values are all purely from values of this earth or of this world. 
And the struggle for us as believers is many times we turn back to those same values that we know deep down are not good for us or it's not what God wants for us. But Paul is trying to warn the Galatian brothers and sisters, you know what the new way of life is that God has called us to. How can you go back? And it's a, it's a challenging question, but it's an important one for the Galatians to think about. And Paul loves them so much where out of his love for them, he wants to share the truth with them. So for us, if we're thinking about applying this, can we think of ways where we, our values are not based on our relationship with God, but it's based on the things of this world? And my experience has been it's very easy for me to constantly turn back to what the world values over what God values. And our challenge is many times we forget what it's like that we have been set free from a previous way of living, and we can end up going back into it. I would say for us in Silicon Valley, the biggest way that's true is we think the thing that will satisfy us the most is to get into the right school or to get the right job or to have the right salary, something along those lines. And now, while none of these are, none of these are purely evil things, a lot of times we make our whole lives out to achieve one of those things. And then as many of my friends, my generation have realized, when we get there, the satisfaction that we were looking for is not there. Why? What I've learned after many years of trying and failing in my relationship with God is knowing that God, I have this living relationship with God and that he's with me, whether I'm on an airplane or whether it's a normal workday or whether I'm just hanging out with friends, whatever it might be, is so much different than what my life was like before. And that's a really important truth for us to grasp for many reasons. And so it's why Paul takes his role as a shepherd of this church very seriously if you, if you remember back in chapter one, he is very like vocally adamant about sharing what the truth of the gospel is, that you can't add anything onto it. And so secondly then, what we see from Paul's heart of the shepherd of the Galatian, the Galatian people here is that it, this, this truth of knowing the before and after of knowing God helps him have a perspective on the big picture. And we see this in verses 10 and 11. Paul says, you observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. And the phrase in vain, it really means something that's meaningless, right? It's not the first time that Paul has used this phrase. We've seen this back in chapter 3, where he says to the Galatians in chapter 3, verse 3, Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Why does he keep using this phrase? If you remember in chapter 3, he's trying to remind the Galatians, your relationship with the Holy Spirit, your experience with the Holy Spirit, it's not based off of you earning it. It's based off of God's grace to you. The moment you put your faith in him, it's not based on all of these religious traditions or things people are telling you you're supposed to do in church, but it's based on what God has given to us. He's saying, how can you go back to there? If you struggle in that way, it's all meaningless, right? It's very similar to the message of the book of Ecclesiastes back in the Old Testament. That helps describe the phrase in vain. And what Paul is trying to get at here is he does not want the brothers and sisters in Galatia to live their lives as disciples in vain, where there's no meaning, there's no purpose, there's no understanding of who God really is. And many times, if we think going to church is about following rules and being more moral than someone else, then we are living our Christian lives in vain as well. 
And that is the, the big picture that Paul has here when he's trying to communicate with the brothers and sisters in the church of Galatia. And as a shepherd of the Galatians, he hopes very strongly that they will see the difference. Now, if we think about how this book applies to our lives, um, I think this is all in the context of Paul warning the brothers and sisters not to go back to things that are not of God, that are of this world, that, w- that they have been enslaved to before. And this is so important to Paul that he is, this is far from the first time that he's gotten a little bit intense in his letter as he's writing this to the Galatian church. Now, the way sermons work today, you know, hopefully I speak for about 40 minutes and not more than that because sometimes we talk for way too long, right? But the best way to, like, understand a book of the Bible is to read the whole thing. And if you remember back in chapter 1, you see how intense Paul is towards the Galatians that they will not forget what the gospel is. And you see that same intensity here where he's basically saying, don't live your life in this way. Don't follow off after all of these things that you know are not of, what, of who God is, but why are you turning back to them? And there's an intensity to what Paul is saying because he loves the Galatian brothers and sisters so much. Now, the problem with speaking truth that is often hard for many of us to deal with, and this is a really fascinating part of the turn that I think this passage takes, is that sometimes the value of the relationship we have with someone gets lost in the manner of the speaking of the truth. And what I mean by that is, I think this is such an important book for us in a Chinese church, because what I've come to learn from 11 years being a pastor at a Chinese church, being someone who's not Chinese, there are many times where our parents' generation can have expectations for the younger generation that's actually rooted in Asian culture and not in the gospel, and it can become very confusing. And it can be just as harmful to the parent-child relationships in the same way it was for me when I was in fifth grade and didn't want to go to church. Why? Because it felt like slavery, the way Paul's using that, that term. Like, get up, do all these things that my parents say, and that's it. Where's the joy in it? Where's the hope in it? And the danger in uh, trying to communicate what we believe is so important to one another, I think really is found in the quality of the relationship or how we can say these things. And you see that because what I would say is, for a lot of you who are in youth group, you have probably felt some pressure from your parents to go to church at some point, the way I did, right? And what I would want to say is, the desire your parents have for you is really, really good. It's not to harm you. It's not to put a burden of expectations upon you. It is because they want you to know the living God. And yet, because we are sinful as human beings, Sometimes the message of that can get lost in translation where I am sure I have done this to people where it's like my whole goal as a pastor is that I would want people to know how amazing a relationship with God is. And I am sure that just as I'm critiquing like the Asian like parent-child relationship as a pastor, I am sure I have done the same thing that your parents have done where I have put pressure on people to do certain things the same way that Paul is explaining this is not part of the gospel. And it's important to just be aware of our human tendencies that that can happen. So the turn that this takes in chapter 4 is really interesting. I've read the book of Galatians many times, and 
I, I'm realizing I must have skimmed over chapter four because I didn't notice this middle section that I think is so fascinating to the relationship between Paul and the Galatian brothers and sisters. So that's the last thing that we're going to see about Paul's heart as a shepherd this morning. You see how much he values the relationship with the Galatians. It's not going to stop him from sharing what he adamantly believes is truth. But you see the love that he has for the Galatians on display, starting in verse 12. Let's read. He says, brothers, I entreat you because as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. What is going on in this section? Studied some commentaries this week, and I still have no idea. And that's because the commentators don't know exactly what Paul is talking about, where he says that he had this condition that the Galatians somehow understood. But the takeaway from these verses is to see that though there was something about Paul that was, I guess, less than ideal because he had some condition that was not hidden to the Galatians, it did not stop them from having this deep connection as brothers and sisters in Christ. That's as best as um, some commentators that I very much trust and respect have been able to kind of cobble together when it comes to this section. But let's keep reading. So this comes back to then in verse 16, Paul's purpose for why he's trying to speak truth into the lives of the Galatians. He says, have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? And as we've said, these are some intense kind of statements and realizations that Paul is making. Saying you can't add on all these other cultural expectations to the gospel. The gospel is the gospel. That God loves you apart from what you've done. You are saved by grace. You are saved by faith in believing in him. Not what time you got to church, what you wore to church, how many hours you served in church. Not all of these things. Let's be clear about how it is. And he, Paul is very intense about what he believes is most important. Many of you know that uh, for several years now, I've been coaching basketball at Bret Hart Middle School, where I attended, where many of you attended. And we had our final 6.30 a.m. open gym of the year, of the school year, this past Friday. And not 15 minutes into the open gym, between myself and the other assistant coach that coaches with me, we had made three of the boys cry. It's the last day, we've known them for a long time, and sometimes in our intensity as coaches, we can go too far. Um, on this particular day, I will throw my assistant coach under the bus because it was primarily his fault, it wasn't as much me, but what it made me realize was that as a basketball coach, a lot of times you guys are like, Dan, do you yell at the kids? You don't yell at the kids at, at church or at youth group, and I'm like, yeah, I yell at them all the time, and you guys like can't picture it. But I would say this passage really made me rethink the tone that I was taking as a basketball coach prior to, prior to this Friday. More about that later. And that's why it's my assistant coach's fault and not mine. But anyway, I had realized this phrase where Paul says, have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? As a basketball coach, I want the kids to understand I am not your enemy. I am doing everything I can, including waking up at 6.15 for this 6.30 a.m. open gym so you get extra practice, so you are as prepared as you possibly can be for high school basketball. The things we're trying to teach you that we'll yell at you about at times, it's for your own good. 
Now, I have no kids of my own, but like this is where I can understand like my own relationship with my parents and how it felt where many times my parents wanted something really good for me. And yet, as to use the language of Paul, because of the tone of voice, they had, in my mind, as a child, become the enemy. And as I realized going into this last open gym, as the coaches, we had become enemies of the kids we were coaching because of the kind of tone that we could take on, right? And so it's, you can see how challenging it is for Paul because he's saying, look, these truths are so important. And yet he starts to value the way that he is speaking this truth to the Galatians. Let's keep reading in verse 17. And when the, we see the word they here, he is speaking of the, Jew, uh, the, the Jewish Christians who are heaping these expectations upon the believers in the church of Galatia. They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out. That is, they wanted to exclude them by saying you're not living up to all of these cultural traditions, that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you. My little children, for who I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. So in verse 19, Paul's using this image of childbearing, like a a pregnant mother with a child, because he's had a relationship with the Galatian church from the time it was born until where it is now. And much as it has been for many of you parents in this room, as you've been raising your children, you've wanted to do it in a way that helps your child grow up, grow up well and to know God and to like, you know, live life in a way that isn't harmful for them. Like, I'm sure that has been a part of all of the, the, the lives of the parents here in this room. And so that's why Paul uses this, this image because he's had this kind of role in the church of Galatia. And that's where verse 20 is so striking to me because even though Paul has been very intense, as we've seen in chapter one, chapter three, about you can't add anything on to the gospel, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you, chapter three, right? He's not calling them foolish just to heap shame on them. What he's saying is this is how important it is that we believe what the gospel is really about, what life with Christ is like, uh, apart from life without Christ previously, This is how passionate Paul is about these truths. And yet, he's also realizing that he has this relationship with the Galatians. And he says, I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone. In other words, he's trying to find ways for people to understand the heart of what he really wants to say. See, when when the message is right, as I would claim it always is for me as a basketball coach, because I believe I always know what I'm talking about, if the tone is wrong, the truth gets lost. And that's what Paul is kind of experiencing here with the Galatians, which is fascinating. I never noticed this part of Galatians before, but we know this to be true. And this is why expectations in church or in religion that are not a part of the gospel that we have for one another, they are so harmful for relationships in the same way that a biting tone can be, can be as well. And so it's really fascinating to see how Paul, as adamant as he is about the truth, like make no mistake, he's not compromising about what he says, but he's realizing perhaps he needs to change the way he's saying it. Um, On Friday, before the open gym had started, and this is why the kids crying, I believe, was not my fault, although the environment I'll certainly take ownership of has been, um, I pulled one particular player aside. I've been yelling at this kid all year. 
And I would think for good reason, because um, uh, a lot of times he's not listening to the coaches or we're teaching him like not to like endanger the safety of others because he fouls a lot and things of that nature. I'll spare you all the basketball jargon. But before the, it was the last open gym of the year and I wish I had done this sooner. But I said, you know, I, before we started, I pulled him aside. I said, hey, you know what? I don't like the tone I've taken with you this year. I apologize for that. And I saw tears starting to form in his eyes. And I thought, oh, man, like, you know, this is how, like, my message to him from coach to player has been received all year. And uh, it was amazing because I think he had perhaps the most fun and played the best that he had played all season. And I think a lot of it was, like, I had realized, like, you know, as a pastor, I have my goals when I'm at church, and when I'm a basketball coach, like, the focus is on basketball, and, uh, you know, there's restrictions on what I can or can't say about the gospel or who God is that I follow because I'm respectful to, to the school, but God had put it upon my heart that I needed to change my tone with this one particular kid, and then watching my assistant coach just yell at all the other ones made things worse throughout the day, but that's another story. Um, really... When, when we can have an accurate understanding of the truth, it also involves like the healing of relationships. And that's what we see here as Paul is trying to reason with the Galatian brothers and sisters here. Life really is so beautiful when we understand the before and after of knowing what Christ is like. And so there are many parts of God's word that I think are very hard for us to follow especially for all of you who are young here who go to school in California that has its own kind of system of beliefs. There are many things in the Bible that are challenging for us that hopefully, you know, we can have good conversations with us at some point. But it's really wonderful when we know the living God. And so if Paul's hope was that, uh, that the Galatian brothers and sisters, in his intensity of tone about the truth of the gospel, he definitely wants them to know that. But in his wanting to change his tone here, there's a sense that he really values the relationship where he's saying, look, I'm trying a different tactic of how we can understand the truth together. That's what it was like for me and the one player I've been yelling at all year. And I think that change in tactic, I was just really, really blessed from, from that time and hadn't, didn't really think about it that much. But as I'm talking about it out loud to you all here, I can really get a sense of how God was with me in that moment, right? I said earlier that as pastors, uh, we've been adamant, both Daniel and I, about we don't want to put any kind of religious pressure on anyone to attend church, to follow God in certain ways. And as Daniel has said, and as I would echo, I am sure that there are ways we have. And if I and knowing that, without thinking about specifics, although I could probably think of a, a few pretty quickly, I would say that as for me as a pastor. It is wrong if I put that kind of pressure on any of you to come to church or to do certain things, right? I try very hard not to live my life in that way or to communicate with you all in that way, but I am sure there are times where it's happened. If Paul is trying to change his tone to not like, a, hey, here's what you need to do, but, or, or like the yelling that you might imagine when he says, you foolish Galatians, or like, why are you turning back to the old things? Here's what I would want to say to all of you in a very, hopefully, calm and loving tone of voice. Life is so much better when God is with us each moment. It really is. And that's the truth of the gospel. 
And that's the, hopefully the underlying message that we hope you would hear from us as pastors when you see how Paul is trying to connect with the brothers and sisters in the church of Galatia. And if we're saying, like, to follow the scriptures very closely, are we considering things in our lives that we're turning back to, that we know are wrong, that we know will lead us away from God? Our, our, our purpose for bringing those up is not to kind of revile you or put pressure on you or to say, like, you know, to make you feel shame or guilty. If it is, that's not the point. But out of a love of knowing who God is and knowing what it's like, life with God versus life before God, we would hope that we would all not turn back to the things that lead death, lead to death, but lead us into a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. Because that really is the best way to live. Because that's where life is lived with the living God. And I hope that you would be able to hear that over all of our exegesis and also the applications that we may give. That that is something that we can see. That life with God really is the only way that we should be living our lives. And I would hope you can hear that from me with a loving tone of voice and not a condemning one. Though I know we might have baggage when any time tells us you have to do something. It's really, it's really an offensive thing to us as Americans, as Asian Americans, as anyone who's grown up on the internet. Like we, just, we get very easily offended by all of these things. But I would hope that you could hear in the same way Paul so desperately wanted the Galatian brothers and sisters to understand the goodness of knowing God that that's what our lives would be about as brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word. Lord, I pray for any of us, uh, myself included, who have just experienced um, huge challenges from the religious expectations or faulty pictures of the gospel where we have felt so much guilt or pressure. Um, perhaps even we have felt like slaves being asked to come to church against our will. Lord, I pray that you would break down all of that. But God, that we would know that our lives with you are really, God, just there's nothing like it. And I thank you for the ways that you have graciously allowed us to experience life together with you. God, I pray for anyone in this room who has not um, experienced uh, the before and after of knowing you. Lord, if there are those of us in this room who have not begun a relationship with you, Lord, I pray that, um, God, you would be opening their minds and their hearts to really experience the love of a heavenly father that is so amazing, that is so gracious, and also that is so true. And so, Lord, we thank you for your word. I pray that the book of Galatians would be something that we can take to heart. God, that it will set us free in our relationships within our church, within our families, with our closest friends. Lord, that we could be honest about the ways that we have harmful expe expectations for one another, but that we can humbly work those things out through grace, through humility, and through forgiveness, just in the way that you have done with us as your children. So Lord, we thank you for these truths, and I pray, God, that um, we would be healed and set free um, by the truths of your word. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.